Um, we've been talking about uh, what it means to be all in for Jesus. This morning we're going to actually be uh, ending this series and moving on to something new next week. So it's something to look forward to. But, you know, uh, God's been challenging us. You know, it's a brand new year and it's a brand new time to, to, you know, evaluate where we are in the Lord and to recommit our lives to him. We were reminded of exactly that one small but huge word, right? Commit, you know, and how you can do whatever you want in life and it, it really comes up to nothing until you fully commit. You know, that's when things happen. That's, that's when life transformation takes place. Uh, we were uh, challenged that one of the ways that we might need to do that to be all in for Jesus is to just simplify our lives, just to cut back on some things and live a simpler life. That can be a way to be all in for Jesus. Um, another way that we are challenged is to possibly just do it again. Those things that you've been doing, but you feel like just, you know, God doesn't see it, nothing's happening. We are challenged to do it again, to do it in faith, what the Lord's called you to do, believing that breakthrough is coming soon. Um, and, of course, that meant that we had to, you know, last week that, that, that P curse word, you know, to persevere through things with patience and you know, all those things, but that's how the promise comes to pass, right? The promise comes to pass through patiently persevering. You know, all these PPPPPPPPs, it's the way the kingdom works. So no matter what that might mean for you uh, this year, there's one thing that it means for each and every one of us. For us to be all in for Jesus, it is to follow him, to follow Jesus, you know, uh, you can't be all in for Jesus if you're kind of lagging behind and you're like, okay, well, you know, I, I want to be with you in this area, but I kind of want to be in the world in this area, you know, and you're kind of divided. Can't follow someone that way. You ever do that? You're following behind somebody in a car, you know, someplace you've never been to before, and you're like, oh, sheets. Yeah, I'm kind of thirsty, you know, and then you look up and you're like, wait a second, where'd they go? <laughs> you know, <laughs> you get distracted and then you kind of lose your way. And that's how the enemy often works in the believer's life. More often than not, what I've seen happen in a Christian's life who committed their lives to follow Jesus and they accepted his salvation is they just kind of veered off course. They kind of got distracted here and there. And they still think they're on the course, but they have lost sight of where Jesus is. So it means to follow him, to literally follow Jesus this year, um, to actively follow his lead through the Holy Spirit. He filled us with the Spirit to do that so that we can follow him, uh, guiding and directing us. Although we're all called to follow Jesus and we're all following, you know, the same one true living God, what that looks like for you is going to look differently than what it looks like for me. Because we're all uniquely created with a unique purpose, you know. We're going to have different roles to play uh, as we follow him. But it all means that we're following Jesus in the path that he has created and, and uh, authored for us. Um, to start, we have to have a, a little bit of an understanding of a historical background. So I'm going to go back historically just for a real quick moment, and then we're going to understand what that means to follow Jesus. Um, Jewish rabbis, they were held in great, great honor, right? Great honor and great esteem, especially during the days of Jesus and still today in the Jewish faith. You know, to, to be a rabbi is a great place of honor. Um, only the brightest and the best would obtain this great achievement among Jewish boys growing up. You know, I mean, they, you know the story, they study the whole, you know, the first five books of our Bible, the, the Torah and, uh, and whatnot. But it was only those who were the brightest and best who would move on and progress on 
and the, the ultimate achievement, you know, of one of those positions could possibly be a rabbi. Um, and so, and actually we know that Jesus was a rabbi himself, right? I mean, biblically we see that. That's what he, who he was. That's what uh, position he had taken. Uh, to have a rabbi approach you with those two simple words that Jesus often said, follow me, was like, it, first of all, it was sort of a weighty burden, but it was also exciting because that meant that that rabbi saw potential in you, incredible potential to kind of be just like them. It, it was an invitation to start this discipleship and mentoring process where you literally lived with them. You left everything behind and you lived with them. You learned from them. And you learned how to live from them. Um, that's what it was. You, you grow up um, and, and the, it was the last step before you could potentially become a rabbi yourself. So it's a great honor to hear those two words. Now, we read a few weeks ago the account where Jesus gave that invitation uh, to Peter, James, and John, right? They, they were all in business in this fishing industry, right, you know? Um, and Jesus gave them that invitation. Um, we read about it here again in Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. Now, many times throughout the life of Jesus, throughout the ministry of Jesus, um, he would go against the grain, and he would act in some very, very unexpected ways um, and very surprising, so much so that it offended the religious people, they ended up killing him, right? I mean, he, he didn't exactly swim, you know, downstream and, and take the easy route. He, he took the route that the Father had set before him. And that included those who he chose, those who he cho twelve, twelve, chose, chose as his twelve disciples. Sorry, I've been a rough morning. The men that he chose are not ones that any rabbi would have considered choosing. Um, in fact, if you look at those three, because they were fishing, that means they probably were like they got to eighth grade, and that's all the more educated they're going to allow, be allowed to be. They went back and they hung out with their dad and learned his trade. You know, that's typically what happened in that culture. Um, because they were in that trade, they were not the brightest and best of the bunch. They were not chosen to move on, you know, and then to take on a position such as a teacher or, you know, a Pharisee, Sadducee, you've got all these rabbis, the teachers of the law. Wasn't chosen for that position. Um, but he chose them. Jesus chose them. And we find in, in John chapter 17, he chose them because that's who the Father his heavenly father had directed him to choose. And as undeniable evidence of who these guys were, we're going to turn ahead to Acts chapter 4. It's one of my first uh, favorite verses. You know, it just gives me hope. I hope that it gives you hope as well. Um, here we, it, uh, to give you a bit of a backdrop, uh, they had just healed a man, um, and they were being put on trial for continuing to teach in the name of Jesus. Here the rulers, the elders, the teachers of the law, like all the uppity ups, they all come and they put on this trial and they put Peter and, um, and John on trial after you know, they healed that man. And their observation, their conclusion at the end of that trial, as you've seen many trials on TV, we see even more coming and you know, sometimes they're staged not to bring out truth, sometimes they do bring out truth. But this, this trial is so different because it, they were just so confused. They're like, there's that man, and I walk past him every day going to the temple, and he was crippled, and he was begging for money, and pff, I didn't give him the time of day, but there he is. He's standing now. He's healed, and he looked at those two, and he's like, 
they just couldn't figure it out. These are the smartest, brightest of the bunch, leaders of a nation, and they couldn't figure it out. And this is what their observation was at the end of this trial. Um, Acts chapter 4, verse 13 to 14. They saw the courage of Peter and John, and they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. And, and they were simply astonished, and they had taken note that they had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. They were completely confounded by this. Like, they have such courage, but the only thing that's different between them and every other common, ordinary person is they'd been with Jesus. And that can be true of your life. That gives me hope, you know? I'm not the brightest person, and I make my share of mistakes, but, but being with Jesus is all that you need. All you need is that relationship with him, and you can have this courage and have this empowerment and have this strength, you know, through the Holy Spirit to, to speak to the leaders of the nation and be like the one that you crucified. I mean, they just had this, this boldness to, to proclaim the word of God. It's amazing. And to do signs, wonders, and miracles. And the only thing that was unique about them, their relationship with Jesus. And that can be the same for you here this morning, too. You may be able to relate to them. You know, from the world's perspective, you're common and may not have the, uh, the, the, the most whenever it comes to book smarts, but you've been with Jesus. That's what shaped and, 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 and changed their reality. And it's what can change us as well and define who we are. Because it's not us. It's Christ in us. I can't heal anybody whenever I pray. But through Christ... He can use me to heal somebody. I can't raise the dead, but through Christ, I'm supposed to speak to them. And Not only did Jesus choose unschooled, ordinary fishermen as his disciples, he chose some of the worst of the worst. Worst of the worst. Matthew chapter 9, verse 9 through 13. He chose a tax collector. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, so not only did he call Matthew to be his uh, disciple, he went and ate in the home of a sinner. And they did sinful things. I mean, this was just a den of sin, right? He didn't care what people thought about him. He cared what his father was calling him to do. And when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick. But now go and learn what this means. And he quoted the word of God. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. I've come not to call the righteous, but to call sinners. And you know, the truth is people haven't really changed it all that much, have they? Right? Whenever somebody has a problem with you, do they come and talk to you about it? No, they go and they whisper and murmur and talk to all their other buddies about it that'll agree with them, right? You know, the Pharisees tried to stir division among his disciples. And what did Jesus do about it? How did he respond? Well, he responded appropriately. He went straight to them. And he's like, okay, you've got a problem with me? Go to the word of God. What does it say about what I'm doing right now? Because that's what I'm doing, Right? It's awesome. I love the boldness and courage of Jesus to do things like that. And that's another message for another time, though, how to handle all those things. So not only did Jesus hang out with sinners, he chose one of them to follow him as his disciple. Beyond this, it gets even better. This is a decision I can't even wrap my mind around. Jesus chose this, a thief as his treasurer. 
He chose a thief as his treasure and to be his disciple. He was one of his disciples. John chapter 12, verse 4 through 6. You know, you've got this whole situation and, uh, you know, the woman pours, breaks a jar and pours out, you know, this nard perfume, um, you know, worth a year's wages. And, you know, everyone's just amazed at this. But one of his disciples wasn't so impressed. Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, he objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It's worth a year's wages. You see him counting the cost and knowing what everything's worth and the value of it. But we hear beyond his words. Did he really care that much about the poor and wanted to help them? No. Verse 6, he did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. You'll find it at our annual business meeting soon. That's not how we run finances here at the church. It's pretty much an open book. But, man, can you imagine that? Jesus not only chose Judas Iscariot as a disciple with the potential to be a rabbi, he also let him take care of the money for his ministry. It just blows your mind, right? He did not choose who you would think he would choose. Now, not everyone who heard this invitation from Jesus to follow me actually accepted it. Now, I can't imagine being face-to-face to Jesus and having him kind of, I picture him always holding out his hand because that's what you see in the memes and pictures on the internet, you know, but he's holding out his hand, he's like, follow me. And he'd be like, ah, just, just hold on a second, hold that thought, put a pin in that, I, I, I got to do some things first, right, you know, but there's some people who did. Um, there was the rich young man who valued his worldly wealth more than Jesus. Jesus said, you want to follow me? Come on, follow me. But first, sell everything you have. Sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and then follow me, and you're going to have treasure in heaven. And he kicked the dirt, and the Bible literally says he walked away sad. He walked away sad because he had great wealth, and he couldn't give that up for Jesus. No way. He worked hard for that money, right? You know what the saddest part of that story is? Every time I read it, I kind of think about that. Can you imagine for him the day that he stands before Jesus again? He's not going to have a penny of that wealth with him when he stands before the throne. And he no longer has that opportunity to follow Christ, just the choice to reject him, right? What is more important to us, the things of the world or the things of the kingdom? That's the saddest part of that story at all, right? Now, one man, a reasonable request, who decided not to follow Jesus, his father had recently passed away. And he's like, first, let me go bury my father. Another man, he first wanted to go and say goodbye to his family. I mean, again, these seem like reasonable requests, right? And you know how Jesus responded to those two men? Because it happened, like, back to back. Jesus said to the first man, let the dead bury their own dead. Wow, it just, it makes me cringe. It gives me a twitch. Like, Jesus, that wasn't very Christ-like, you know? Do you ever read that and think that? Come on, Jesus, broods of vipers? Like, ugh. You know, I mean, sons of hell? I mean, he called people that. And they're like, ugh. That's... But it was absolutely Christ-like. He never sinned. What he said was not sin. Let the dead bury their own dead. And to the man who wanted to go say goodbye to his family first... He said, no one who puts their hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. 
sort of in line with not being a lukewarm Christian, right? You can't sit on the fence. You're either all in or you're out. There is no other choice. You're going to get left behind. You're either all in or you're all in the dust cloud, okay? The kingdom of God is moving. It is shaking. It's, it's, it's doing things. You can't be in the world and in the kingdom at the same time. You've got to be all in. And so, I mean, I asked myself, like, was Jesus a jerk? I mean, did, did he have no compassion for these people? The guy just lost his dad. Like, come on, I can kind of relate there, you know? Like, give him a season to heal and grief instead of just, no, you get into ministry, you know? Uh, leaving your family behind, like, yeah, let me say goodbye. I mean, this is a huge commitment, you know? You, you think there's a reasonable request. So why did Jesus respond that way? We learned last week that Jesus is full of mercy and compassion. This is another instance where I'm not seeing a very compassionate heart. Guy just lost his daddy. Come on. And what, what I felt the Holy Spirit told me is this. Because we know that Jesus very often saw behind words. He saw their hearts. And here is what the Holy Spirit kind of shared with me, and I'm sharing with you, and I'm like, yeah, there's some truth there. The reality is, those who give an excuse will always find an excuse. When the Lord calls you to do something and you find an excuse, you're always going to have an excuse. And it's going to be legitimate, and it's going to be good, and it's going to be understandable. And Pastor Steve's going to be like, oh, no, I totally get it, I understand, you know, go ahead. You know, but should we accept excuses in the kingdom of God? If God's calling you to do something, do it. It's really that simple. There is blessing in obedience. Because those who give an excuse will always find one. That's the difference between being all in for Jesus, or let's just call it what it is, rejecting Jesus. Walking away from Jesus. Even if you have a legitimate, honest, whatever excuse, it's walking away from him and rejecting his calling in your life. And you're the one missing out. You're the one missing out on good things. Because there will come a day when all excuses fade away. And we have to give an account for our life. Did we do what God called us to do? Were we the person that God called us to be? Because there's a reward waiting for those who are all in for him. Those who are willing to make sacrifices in obedience to follow him. Those who say, you know what, God, your kingdom first and everything else is secondary. There is a rich reward for those who make that choice. It's not easy. There's always going to be an excuse, but there always will be an excuse. Am I all in for Christ or am I lukewarm for Christ? You've got to make a decision one way or the other. Anyone today who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. And it's hard to believe anyone would deny him, but I mean, look at the world today. Very few choose to follow him and even fewer yet stay the course and reach the finish line. It's hard reality. Jesus was all in for us. How could we give him anything less? He held nothing back for us. So why would we hold anything back from him? We have to act in faith and not by sight. That if he's calling us to sacrifice something, to do something in his kingdom, that is going to get rewarded and it's going to be better than what I got now. You know, I've seen the, the cute picture usually around Valentine's Day, you know, of, of Jesus. Like, he has this huge teddy bear behind him, and he's asking the little girl to give her her little, like, scruffy one with the eyeball, you know, hanging out, you know. And it's like, nope, this is mine. Like, how often do we look that way? 
Jesus is like, come on, I've got something so much better for you. But you can't hold both at the same time. You've got to let go of one. We've got to let that season go and enter into the new season so that we go from glory to glory, right? And not from life to death. We've got to keep pushing ahead. We've got to keep moving on. You know, we sang that song about, about Jesus being our lighthouse and leading us through and everything, you know. Do you know when ships are in the most danger? It's not when they go head on into the wave and the wave kind of comes up over and everything. The time that a ship is in danger is when they get up on that wave and the, and the captain's like, uh-oh, turn around, go back. As soon as they get sideways, they're done. That wave will overturn that ship, take it over, and it's going to end up as a shipwreck in the bottom of the ocean. The ships that survive the storms are the ones that keep the course, who, who they have their instruments set on their destiny, and they don't care what waves come their way. They go up over them and down and up and down. They are the ones that reach their destiny. They're the ones that serve their purpose. They're the ones who, who save lives and don't become another casualty and another statistic. Man, think about that in our faith. It's the ones that persevere and stick the course and take up their cross and follow Jesus. They are the ones, in the end, who are saved. Salvation isn't a little comfy prayer that you pray one day, you know, and then you give your life to Jesus and that's it. Salvation is a daily choice. You won't find anywhere in the scriptures where there's a sinner's prayer that somebody prays and then you're good to go, you know. You won't find that anywhere. Don't know why we do that. It's, it's not a bad thing necessarily, but there's more to it. Follow me is a call to discipleship. You leave it all behind and you follow me. That's what salvation is. Salvation is following Christ through thick and thin, when life's good and when life gets hard. Those are the ones who will be saved in the end. The ones who live out their faith and work out their salvation, right? You can't earn it by works, but the ones who stick in with Jesus the whole way. They reach their destination. All right, so we've got to count the cost of being a disciple. We're going to take a look again, and this is how we're going to kind of, you know, close out the message, although we're a little far from it. Sorry, guys. We're going to take a look at the life of one of his disciples. Because you may be sitting here this morning, and you may be just discouraged, and you may be feeling like you're just getting another heap of discouragement on you. Like, yeah, I know I'm so wishy-washy. I know I do what I'm not supposed to do. I know I don't do the things I am supposed to do, and I'm just getting beat up again. Here we are, you know. Um, just hang in there. But uh, here we turn to Matthew chapter 16, verse 21 to 27. You might notice you got communion cups out, kind of little teaser here, but man, we got it seriously. I want you to start preparing your hearts even now. Consider the cost of being a disciple. The cost that Jesus paid to be all in for you. He loves you that much. Does he deserve any less? So Matthew chapter 16, verse 21, it says, From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things at the hand of the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law. That's an understatement, suffer many things. That he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. See, we always focus on the first part, all this pain, all this suffering, all this tragedy. We, we focus on, you know, chapters 1 to 41 of Job, you know. But Jesus always ends on that chapter 42. But on the third day, I'm going to raise again to life. Then Peter took him aside. 
this good, good Christian, good disciple that he is. And he begins to rebuke Jesus. Never, Lord. This will never happen to you. Jesus turned and he said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. People have said that to me sitting in these chairs as I've been preaching. I love that. I'll never forget that day. It was like my third message here at New Hope. He doesn't attend here anymore, praise be to God. But yeah, anyways, you, you miss all the fun stuff. Peter, and then Jesus is like, you know what? Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. Why was he calling him Satan? And why was he saying that he was a stumbling block? Because of this. You don't have in mind the concerns of God. Merely human concerns. Where's your mind this morning? Because that's where the battlefield lies. That's where Satan has his fun at. Are we concerned about what God cares about? Are we concerned about worldly things? He cares about those things too, but they're covered. His kingdom first. Then Jesus said to his disciples in verse 24, Whoever wants to be my disciple... They've got to deny themselves. They've got to take up their cross and then follow me. And this is before they even knew Jesus was going to go to the cross. He knew what was coming. That's why he used the cross as an analogy here. So they wouldn't forget it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it do for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul. What can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with the angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. You see, there's an open invitation right now for each and every one of us to follow Jesus, to be his disciple. He counted you worthy. He has called you by name. And he's even given you a new name. I can't wait to find out my new name. It's written on a rock in heaven. I don't know. I can't wait to hear what it is. Uh, Maybe I don't want to hear what it is. But anyways, it's going to be good, right? The question is, are we willing to follow him? Are we willing to leave all these worldly concerns behind? Especially in election year, there's some worldly concerns raging, aren't they? And I'm not exempt from that. Man, I, I, I'm stirred up. I'm, I'm digging into the conspiracy theories. And then I'm like, okay, okay, okay. Focus. Jesus, right? <laughs> Jesus through this all. We've got to fix our eyes, not on the temporary and fleeting things of this world, but on the kingdom that never spoils, perishes, or fades. The, the kingdom that cannot be moved, cannot be shaken, no matter what government's over top of it. It topples those governments. Last time I read in the, in the prophecy of Isaiah about little baby Jesus coming, it said that the, the, the governments would be on his shoulders. It all rests on him anyways, right? Is that where my treasure lies? Or do my treasures lie in the things of this world? We've got to focus our eyes on where we're heading, right? I, I tell Nate about this all the time because he's going to be driving soon, you know? If you're not keeping your eyes on where you're going... You're going to go where your eyes are, right? Like, oh, I don't care for this song. (laughs) You know, next thing you know, you've got a car upside down and Donnie's coming to bail you out. You know, I mean, you got to keep your eyes fixed on where you're going because that's how we were designed. I don't care what your mom says. No eyes in the back of the head. None of us have that, okay? Your eyes, 
God intentionally put your eyes in front of you and your feet to only go one way because that's where you're heading in life. You're going forward. You got to keep your eyes fixed there. Going kingdom bound, right? Kingdom bound. We set our faces like flint, heaven bound, and not aware of what's going on around us. And that's where we're going. Because remember, this, we read this last week. Psalm 23, 6. I just can't get this out of my spirit. Surely, goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Goodness and love will follow us. Why? Because we're following Jesus. Because we're following Jesus. When we're following Jesus, goodness and love come behind us. Why do they follow us all the days of our lives? Because we're following him. Jesus said this, right? John 13, verse 35. He said, by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples. If you love one another. Love is like a... Do you ever read the story Hansel and Gretel and they left the breadcrumbs behind, you know, so they knew where to go? That's what it is. In the kingdom of God, when you're following Jesus, love and goodness are like breadcrumbs behind you. Not so that you can turn around and go back to where you came from, but so that others can follow you. That's discipleship. Those rabbis chose disciples. Who became rabbis? Who chose disciples? That's the kingdom of God. You have become a disciple in the kingdom of God, and you are too, what did Jesus say in the Great Commission? Make disciples. You are a disciple and you make disciples, and it just keeps going and going and going and going, right? It's an awesome thing, but that's why goodness and love follow you. They are place markers. They are trail markers of where you've been. They follow you because you're following Jesus and good things. When you're following him, good things come your way. It's not all good. It's not all fun, but because this is written in Psalm 23, about the valley of the shadow of death and not fearing any evil. You know, you go through things, but you go through them. And there's trail markers for others. Your testimony is a trail marker so that others, when they come to that same valley of shadow and death and they don't know what to do, your light guides their path because of your testimony of what God's gotten you through. That's the power of your testimony. It's, it's love and goodness to help others to go through it as well. That's what happens when you follow Jesus. Following Jesus, we know where we're heading. And we remind each other of it often, right? Of the promises of God that we are walking into. We know where we're heading. We know it's good things. We, we know that, that it's love and goodness and faithfulness and all these awesome things. He has gone ahead of us. He has pioneered a way for us. He has made, he, he's not only done all those things, he's preparing a place for you, right? Can't wait to settle into that mansion. It's going to be awesome. He's gone ahead of you and he's prepared a place for you. We may pass through valleys, even the shadow of death, but our destiny is onto those green pastures, quiet waters, where Psalm 23 says we lack nothing. That's our destiny. And that's what Jesus has already promised us. He's given everything to us. So this morning, if you've never made that choice, even if you call yourself a Christian and whatever, but you know that you've never really made that choice to be all in for Christ. You know you've never really given him at all. There's always that one thing in your life that you just enjoy too much to let go, even though you know it's not good, and you know God's word calls it sin. We, we like the benefits of sin, even if it leads to death, all right? Let's be honest. We all live in this flesh. We've all got those things. But if you've never been like, you know what, Lord? 
forget about it. Enough is enough. I've had enough. Can't keep playing games like this. I'm all in for you. Just fully surrendered. Today's a day to do that. And if you've done that before and you know that you start to kind of veer off course, well, today's a day to just bring it back on in, right? Because this morning there's hope. No one is ever too far gone for Jesus to save and to put them right back on the course that they were headed. If you don't believe me, think about this. Remember that guy that Jesus, he rebuked Jesus and Jesus rebuked him and said, you need to get behind me, Satan. You don't have the things of God in mind. You got things of the world. Peter, this was Peter's story. I'm going to run through it because it's long and I don't want to bore you too much. But man, I can relate to this over and over again, shamefully so, but you know, over and over again, this is how Jesus responds to those who are all in for him and then they fall away. We'll read through it. Matthew chapter 26, verse 31. Then Jesus said to them, this very night, this is on the night of, well, the night before the cross, the night of the trial. Jesus said, this very night, you will all fall away on account of me. And I love it. You know, we didn't create that to sugarcoat sin and to sugarcoat rejecting Jesus. The word of God calls it that. Falling away from him. Falling away from your salvation. This is falling away from following him. That's the term that the Bible uses. This very night you will all fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I've risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Pin that mentally. He's going to go ahead of them into Galilee after he leaves them. Or after he raises again. Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. He's all in, man. Jesus answered, truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows three times, you will disown me. And that word disown, I'm not going to go into it, man, that's, that's deep. That's deep. Peter declared, even I have to die with you. I will never disown you. And all the other disciples, they got right behind Peter and they said the same. Even if we've got to die, we're following you, Jesus. We're all in. We're fully committed. Even if it's our death, right? Well, be careful what you preach because God will give you a chance to live it out. And that's exactly what happened. Later on, verse 69 of Matthew chapter 26, the trial's taking place. Now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said. But he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateway. He got to get away from that little girl. She just, you know, she's going to expose him. Sorry, where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow, he was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again, this time with an oath. I don't know the man. And after a little while, those who were standing there went up to Peter and they said, you know, surely you were with them. Your accent, it gives you away, right? Just like us Pennsylvanians, you can't deny it, you know? Can't deny you're from Western PA. Yinzal, you know, <laughs> just, you can't deny it. The accent gave him away. And he began to call down curses. And he swore to them an oath. You know, with cross my heart, hope to die, you know, my, my you know, whatever curses you call or whatever. He said, I don't know the man. And immediately a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the word that Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. 
And you know, this could have been the end of Peter's story. We know another disciple who had this same kind of encounter. He was all in following Jesus. He was all in for the Lord. Um, You know, he was right there with them. He swore the same as Peter did, even to the death I will follow you. I will never leave you, right? Even though he knew he was sneaking off to get himself some 30 coins, right? For, For just leading them to Jesus. We all know where Judas's story ended. In my opinion, and I'll stand firm on this, even though it's speculation, I think he ended his story early. I think he could have been in the next part of this story had he not committed suicide. Peter was overwhelmed with grief, the same as Judas was, but Peter responded differently. Maybe just because he was too hard-headed. And we'll praise God for that, that he was just too hard-headed to end his own life, you know, or maybe too scared to, but... Man, if you've ever been in that place, it doesn't have to end there. That doesn't have to be the end of your story. That's not where God wants it to end. That's not his plan and purpose, right? But Peter could have easily chose that same end. However, Peter's grief in denying Jesus didn't end that same way as Judas's grief ended. So when you're at your end, please follow Peter's path not Judas's. Now we know the story. Jesus is flogged. He's hung on a cross. He lay in the grave for three days. And then after three days of darkness, joy came in the morning, right? He's risen. He's alive. He Just like he said he was going to do. That wasn't the end of his story. Not only was his story not over yet, neither were the stories of any of his disciples. I wish Judas would have hung in there. Think about the good things he would have seen if he just hung in there. Here's where we're going to end here. Um, John chapter 21, verse 1 through 19. Afterward, this is after he rose again from the grave, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. Remember what Jesus said before he went into Jerusalem? After I rise again, I'm going to go ahead of you to Galilee. So here he is. He said he was going to do it, and guess what? He done gone and did it, right? It happened this way. Simon Peter and Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from, good name, right? Of, uh, he misspelled it though. The Bible, it got the spelling wrong. It's I-E-L, not, I'm sorry, anyways. Anyways, the sons of Zebedee and two other disciples, all of his disciples, almost all of them were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And he said, and it's like, the guy's like, I'm going to garage. I've had enough of this drama, you know. I just need to get my mind off of it, so. That was, that was his getaway. Peter's getaway was, I'm going fishing. I, I just can't deal with all this stuff anymore. I just need to get my mind straight, right? Guys, it's good to have that. You'll meet Jesus there. Just wait and see. <laughs> I know I have many times. So I'm going fishing, Simon Peter told them. And they said, you know what? We're going with you. Sounds like a good idea. So they all went out. They got in the boat. And that night, they caught nothing. If you remember a few weeks ago, this story's going to start sounding a little familiar Fished all night, didn't catch a thing, cleaning their nets. Sound familiar, right? So early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples didn't realize it was Jesus. And he called out to them, friends, did you catch anything? <laughs> nope, they answered. He said, well, throw your net on the, on the right side of the boat. You'll find some. And for whatever reason, they did it. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. 
Sound familiar, right? This happened before, the first time that Jesus said, follow me and be my disciple. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, and we all know that was John, right? He said to Peter, hey, it's the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him because he had taken it off. He jumped into the water, and the other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish. Because they weren't very far from shore, just about 100 yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of those fish over that you just caught. So Peter climbed back into the boat. This is just Peter's personality. Go Bring me a couple of fish. Peter's like, mm-mm. It's like me after a Walmart trip. I'm not bringing you a couple of fish. He grabs the whole net, swings it on his back like Santa, and he's like, you know, I'm bringing them all to you, Jesus. All in for Christ, right? You're not getting a couple little fish you asked for. You're getting everything. I, just, I love his personality. I can relate to it. And uh, it says that he climbed back in, but he dragged it out to the shore. It was so full of large fish. And like every fisherman's story, we know exactly how big it was, right? 153. They, I don't know how they had time to count 153 fish in this net, but that's how many they had. And it's in the Bible, so it has to be true, right? But ev- even with so many fish the net wasn't torn there's so many spiritual parallels in this fishing story i I don't want to go into them yet though jesus said to them come and have breakfast with me and none of the disciples dared ask him who are you because they knew it was the lord jesus came took the bread gave it to them and he did the same with the fish now this was the third time that jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised again from the dead and when they'd finished eating jesus said to peter Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, I Lord. I'm sorry. Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. So Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. And the third time that he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him for the third time, do you love me? You know, sometimes Jesus, as we learned with Job, will allow you to get hurt so that you get healed upright. Jesus hurt Peter. And then he asked him the third time, do you love me? And Peter said, Lord, you know all things and you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself, you went where you wanted, but when you're old, you will stretch out your hands. Someone else is going to have to dress you. Someone else is going to have to lead you into places where you don't even want to go. And Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Man, there's so much of that right now. If you've got, like, aging relatives in your family, they may feel ashamed Jesus said that his life would glorify God, even when he got taken places he didn't want to go and had to get dressed by other people, that there was glory to God in that. And then he said to Peter, follow me. So we see this this pattern. Three times Peter denies even knowing Jesus. Three times Jesus gave Peter a chance to redeem himself. And asked him, do you love me? Do you love me? And the same words that he heard in the first story, 
were spoken in this story. Follow me. Even though Peter denied even knowing Jesus, denied having ever been with him, he called down curses in heaven and earth, you know, that he never even knew the guy. He wasn't too far gone. Jesus gave him a chance to redeem himself. And Jesus picked right up where they left off. And he continued building the kingdom of God from that time forward, right? So this morning, no matter where you may be at spiritually, you're not too far gone. No matter how wishy-washy you've been, even if you've cursed Jesus and denied that he even exists or that you even know him, you're not too far gone. Jesus redeemed Peter's life, set him right back on the path that he was destined for, and told him to follow me once again. And he's doing the same for you this morning. God's forgiveness, his compassion, his mercy, the fullness of his salvation, it's available to each and every one of us if we just make that choice to follow him. So this morning we're going to kind of make that commitment together um, by celebrating communion, remembering that Jesus was all in for us, right? Oh, sorry, slide behind. <laughs> remembering that Jesus was all in for us. And by doing so, a choice not only to remember that, but to commit our lives to be with him as well. Now, I know these things are challenging. I'm not going to tell you it's not going to be challenging for me, so don't be afraid to ask your brother or sister in Christ for a hand, right? That's what we're here for. Give each other a hand. If you can get your little wafer you do out. This, I, I do not picture that that breakfast was anything like this, that he celebrated with you know, his disciples, but we're going to do it in, in a symbolic act of faith. And so, Jesus, we do thank you so much for the life that you lived in this flesh. We remember this Bread represents your body. You lived in the same flesh that I'm living in right now. You dealt with all the same weaknesses and temptations and trials that I'm dealing with right now. Jesus, you know full well what I'm going through. And I thank you for going through it for me so that you can relate to me in every single way. In your name, amen. You may eat the bread. And of course, on that last Passover meal, not only did he break the bread and give it to his disciples, but I'm trying to be so careful with this. I'm on red carpet. Y'all don't have that privilege, so, you know. He also gave them then the cup to drink. And he said that this cup represents my blood, that this new covenant that's being made by it. And so, Jesus, we thank you not only for living in the flesh so that you can relate to us, we thank you for living it perfectly and for shedding your blood. That, that Though my sin is as red as scarlet right now, you, Jesus, through your perfect sacrifice, through your blood that was shed, can wash me as white as snow. Jesus, this morning I ask your forgiveness for my sin. Forgive me for playing games with you, for messing around in the things of the world and the things of the kingdom and for, for just wanting to be lukewarm. Lord, this morning I make a commitment to be all in for you. I'm tired of messing around. I'm tired of playing games. And I'm ready for your kingdom to come here on the earth, in my life and through my life, Lord. 
There's no going back, Lord. There's no plan B, Lord. I am committed to you. I will follow you, Jesus. I will accept your invitation. And I thank you for shedding your blood to make it possible to do it in your name. Amen. And you may drink. So as we part ways here this morning, I don't want this to really soon leave our memory. That's why we do this on a regular basis. Remembering the cost of our salvation. Remembering the goodness of his salvation, right? And his love that was expressed through it. And so I kind of challenge you from this day forward as you're living all in for Jesus, as you're following him, whatever that looks like for you, um, just to remember to remember what it cost him. Because this is what makes it easy for me to hold nothing back from him. Amen.